Williams. Hi, Gabby. How's it going? Uh, where are we? You want to tell the people where we are? <laughs> yes, today you and I and you and I alone are in a snow globe. And uh, we're just wow. in the snow globe together. The snow is sort of falling. Uh, there's a little bit, the little like thing that's inside the snow globe is a castle. Um, and we are here together. Wow, I love castles. We're protected. It's a little uh, I love it. safe space. <laughs> We're in our illusion bubble. Yeah. <laughs> snow globes. Illusion I wonder bubble. if snow globes will ever become obsolete. I do you think know? they sort of are on the decline. Like, I haven't seen one in ages. Have you seen one recently? I saw one at the airport, uh, the Maui airport, okay. <laughs> around Christmas. And they were like, there was... But it was like I, it was the only one I saw in like one store. Like it wasn't like the dominant souvenir whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend who collected snow globes when she was a kid in like the nineties. I feel like it was one of those like tchotchke nineties. It really things. was. Yeah. <laughs> Where it was like, how did they do this? Yeah. When did they <laughs> get invented? Let me see. I know they're old though. When did snow globes snow make globes me think of invented? Beanie Babies, which is very nineties? <laughs> wow, they were uh, invented in nineteen hundred. <laughs> wow. By Mr. Percy, a surgical instruments mechanic, accidentally created <laughs> <laughs> the first step. You guys, this is the story of creation. <laughs> Mr. Percy, a surgical instruments mechanic, accidentally created the first snow globe in 1900 as a result of an experiment to try to improve the brightness of the newly invented and not very bright electric light bulb. Wow. Also to think the first light bulb was dim. I know. <laughs> I don't really get that. So how does that even help? (laughs) I know. I was thinking in my head. I was like, oh, did the insides explode? And then he was like, it's pretty cool when there's confetti in a bowl. (laughs) You know, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's more. (laughs) Let's keep it a little mysterious. When did they become popular? 1927. And then he became the greatest man of whimsy in the world. (laughs) Oh, I see. They had another bump in 1927, and then their big bump happened in the 1940s with the increased use of plastic and the development mm. of the tourist industry. <gasps> mm. Interesting. Yeah. Spooky. A little bit. Erwin. Oh, my God. He was Austrian, the guy who accidentally invented it. Okay. That completely makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> Austrians are fucking weird. I can say that because I am the descendant. <laughs> Yes, you are. I'm a weird Austrian. <laughs> um, who, like, DM'd me. Who was DM'd me uh, during my time in Barcelona. Oh, yeah? She's so active online lately. It's pretty cute. Yeah. It's very cute. She's I was like, funny. oh, it's nice to hear from you. <laughs> my second mother. I'm talking about my mother, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's My favorite is when she sends me, like, Latin men dancing. <laughs> it's the best content <laughs> she, she shares. i don't get any Um, of that i don't get any of that what are we (laughs) i hope we get Um, that point i think we can yeah i think maybe i just need to ask for it (laughs) yeah just be like hey i heard you have some videos that could be of interest um (laughs) today we're talking about um we're gonna talk about our trauma and we're gonna just let you guys know how wounded we are so that you trust us more (laughs) Buckle up, buckle up. I will say, no, I will kidding. just say, absolutely like 
full transparency uh, doing <laughs> the research that we did for this episode, which obviously was light, but it does also require like thinking. Um, it's been like, it's heavy to like mm. think about all this stuff because it is like, no matter what you think of trauma, it's just a heavy mm. word. Like if I imagine trauma, it's, it sounds like a fucking uh, wrecking ball and Miley Cyrus is writing it, you know? <laughs> Okay, I think when I hear the word trauma, I literally think of, like, a brain. Like, I think of, like, a graphic, like, a science photo of, like, a brain being, like, impacted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, like a hitting the pavement or something. Because I feel like that's what it really yeah. means. <laughs> yeah. Well, the physical so, trauma. Like, yeah, trauma yeah. to the... Well, because it's a, it is, like, a hospital word. It's, like, oh, there was trauma to the brain. Like, you know, like, it's a physical yeah, word. Yeah, like, blunt trauma. Is, like, this elusive cultural world okay well let's get into because there was the let's right. explain kind of what's about to happen um yeah so, so we sort James of backed into felt this, this topic way. uh just so you guys know <laughs> there was an internet issue so now we're doing it with facetime audio instead of facetime video so i can't see james anymore and she can't see me yeah we're both like talking to each other in the void right now <laughs> also i just want to point out for the listeners that we are 100 percent experiencing uh-huh. an 11 hour time difference Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. It's 9.27 a.m. here. And it's 8.27 p.m. here, so. Oh, my God, amazing. <laughs> yeah. The things we do for the pod, I will just say. Um, totally. <laughs> the big world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the big P. No, okay, so anyway, uh, trauma. We were, so. Okay, trauma. So I read this uh, New York Times article um mm-hmm. a week ago I guess and it basically talks about how it's an opinion piece but it talks about how we um just collectively have taken on the word trauma and used it for like a whole other meaning and and basically how like mm-hmm. Gen Z is the uh most depressed and like sad generation like ever mm-hmm. uh and we should say what it's called yeah like the yeah New York Times article, if you want to see it, if everything is trauma, comma, is anything by Jessica Bennett. Mm-hmm. But yeah, keep going. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. And so it just talks about how trauma wasn't always around at, in such prevalence. And now, like, with the, <laughs> the rise of, like, internet culture, um, something like West Elm Caleb is, like, a a traumatic experience or like people are perceiving it as traumatic experience. Whereas, um, previously it would just be like a shitty dude or whatever. Um, I don't want to get in the West Elm Caleb thing cause I feel like that's a whole other rabbit hole that I'm not prepared to go I know. down. <clears throat> but that's um, also what sparked, it's also what sparked this, uh, art. I was actually surprised how much this article talked about West Elm Caleb. I right. thought it was going to be a bit more, I actually got so I thought it was going to be a bit more psychological and like scientific and I actually got more of that from there was a podcast I sent you I just listened to it yes honestly yeah I thought it was great and then I put it in my story (laughs) and everyone was like she's a Zionist are you a Zionist I was like dude I don't fucking know but it's a great podcast um and if you want to look it up it's very wise honestly uh what was it called humans humans are more more resilient resilient than than you you think. think yeah yeah, so that one she had an actual like psychologist on who And if you don't like Barry Weiss about like the history. If you don't like Barry Weiss, you know, she he doesn't he does most of the talking and he has a lot of uh he's mm-hmm. like a real psychologist with 
you know, books, books and stuff out there. Yeah, totally. I didn't, I honestly didn't even know who she was. And I'm, I'm yeah, in this phase either. now with stuff where I'm just like, I'm, I'm so tired of that. Like, I'm so tired of someone being like, you listen to this. Do you know who this is? It's like, it feels like high school. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. in a really weird political way and like in a weird adult way. Mm-hmm. Like, like, who knew that being an adult would feel like high school except with like heavy political topics? You know? Yeah, yeah. Oof. It isn't like, don't talk to that bitch. She kissed my boyfriend. It's like, right. don't talk to that bitch. She said something about Palestine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. dude, I don't, I don't, I literally like, I, I just don't fucking have time for that. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm like, I listened, we listened to the podcast to hear about a psychologist talk about trauma. I don't care about, I don't care. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Carrying on. Um, <laughs> great podcast, but that gave us more of like a scientific perspective, whereas this small New York Times piece was very kind of like, you know, also analyzing the girls who called West Elm Caleb trauma. Mm-hmm. And there's even a photo here that says live, laugh, love bomb, because a lot of trending words right now. Um, and we talked about, nar- this is actually a good uh, kind of follow up to our like narcissist journey, mm-hmm. <laughs> like our narcissist episode, because it's a similar kind of, like we kind of already talked about this in a way through the narcissist lens, but with West Elm Caleb and what the article kind of gets into is that a lot of these women and a lot of the opinions surrounding this TikTok thing um, was that he was a love bomber, which is a word for um, kind of like an abusive pattern where someone like purposely and very ingenuously (laughs) um, acts like, you know, you have a future and they're in love with you and they treat you so great just to devalue you later. Right, right. Um, And the key about love bombing is that it's, followed by like intense abuse it's not really defined by someone giving you a playlist that they gave someone else or somebody mm-hmm. sleeping with you and sleeping with someone else or someone taking you on a date and telling you that you're so beautiful and perfect and then telling someone else that too you know yeah yeah <laughs> so that was kind of and then it goes further where it's like what's happening to our kids mm-hmm. <laughs> and our teens and our early t- 20s people that think that that was their perception of that situation so then it goes into like what's happening with trauma I think the podcast was way better at at saying yeah just more of like the how it's actually even happening like in schools and like in therapy as well yeah like it's not just kind of kids kids online it's also like the sort of like exasperation of any kind of unsettling memory or unfortunate event right um and I guess we have a lot to talk about. Why don't we just start with kind of like, like, I'll, like, what is your experience in terms of defining trauma in your life? Mm-hmm. And what is your intuitive reaction to the way that it's being talked about now? Yeah. So, something that really struck me um, just listening to this podcast that we, you just covered, um, is they talked about how, like, they talked about a specific person who covered a, a war, came back and went to a therapist, and the therapist basically said, like, I don't I don't see what you're experiencing as trauma. I just experience – I see what you're experiencing as a normal human reaction to, like, horrific uh, events. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they said, like, you're going to get through this, but this isn't trauma. And um, the, uh, the interviewer, like – probed the psychologist a little bit more and she said isn't that somewhat rare because it it doesn't benefit the psychologist to basically 
tell a patient that they're going to be okay. Um, and mm. the guy said, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the therapist, but, but that is a really interesting and sort of bold move on the, on the therapist's part. And something that happened to mm. me when I was little was um, I went to public schools and in first grade, yeah, first grade, um, I was pulled out of, of my class and taken to like group therapy with other kids <laughs> mm-hmm. and let me tell you why because they had said what was happening in your home yeah I I never got like I truly never heard like who referred me or why I was there it could have been anyone um but it was grandma. because it was probably my grandma whatever I'm not gonna, not gonna do this but um yeah yeah um <laughs> It could have been anyone. It could have been anyone. It could have been my teacher. Um, it could have been a new thing they were trying out. But basically, my for those who don't know, my mother got sick when I was four. So when you're in first grade, that's like six or seven. And that's like when her mm-hmm. condition became like way more serious. So um, I was taken into this group therapy session. I was a shy kid. Um, and so we were all supposed to sit in a circle of literally like first graders and talk about Mm-hmm. our bad times or whatever our bad feelings were and it was this fucking weird thing where we were we were just supposed to talk about what was upsetting us I don't remember what I shared at all I don't remember feeling any sort of like sense of um, relief but I do remember feeling deeply deeply scarred by what these kids shared and what they shared were literally things like Chucky dreams dreams about Chucky <laughs> oh a kid's fear about his like a head a chicken's head getting cut off so then I had like nightmares about that so it was this weird experience oh at a God. very very early age of like um trying to address someone's trauma before it could have been processed as such and then after that mm. I felt different and I do think that it was a it was something that like um separated me from my classmates because after that I I do remember not ever wanting to share about it, not feeling like I could describe it to classmates, do feeling that my situation literally made me so different I had to leave the classroom. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> um so that part of the podcast really struck me because I understand that it was someone being well meaning like, oh, we need to get her into a safe space to talk. But um I this psychologist basically says that he had a teacher ask him a question like, uh, my students uh, parent just passed away when they come back to school how do I handle what they're going through do I talk to them um, what can I do to make them feel like safe and he was like I wouldn't say anything I think you just need to treat them normally and the teacher was like are you kidding me mm. and honestly I wish that mm. I wish I wish they fucking would have with me because <laughs> because people mm. were like where did you go and I was like, I don't know. I just fucking played with puppets for half an hour, and we heard about some girl's <laughs> nightmare. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. You're like, and now I feel like I have a property. Yeah. <laughs> that I have to think about. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That is very, very interesting. That's a really good. That's just a really good story because it brings because that's something I'm very interested in because the reason that just shows why this is an important thing to talk about because it's not just teens and adults kind of being like well this is how I process things by really exasperating them naming them making it part of my identity it's the fact that it changes culture mm-hmm. 
and it says what's the right way to do things mm-hmm. you know so it's like oh it's the right it's the right thing to do to take a kid out of her class and put her in a room with a bunch of people talking about their horrors yeah <laughs> and then you know and it's like so it's important that we all like I don't know don't just like let it <laughs> yeah completely take over but yeah that's really wild so you felt that after that experience it was like bigger I mean, it was something that sent you apart absolutely and I think uh there's so many factors to it, of course, but I truly like, like people at my school didn't know what I was going through from that point on, I would say. Mm-hmm. I dropped out of that was first grade. I dropped out of second grade because it was just all too much. I went mm-hmm. to a, another school in third grade and I didn't tell anyone if I didn't have to. I didn't want my mom coming to parent teacher conference mm-hmm. because she looked ill. A, she could barely come, but when she did come, mm-hmm. I had this sinking feeling that people would know. And it's just because I, like, mm-hmm. I felt differently. I felt separate because I had been mm-hmm. literally separated. And, um, you know, it was the 90s, so I don't know if they're doing that anymore. I wonder if anyone was like, hey, guys, this is probably a bit weird, you know. They're but... probably doing it more. <laughs> they're probably, like, giving out pills right. also. Little, like, passes, hall passes. Like... <laughs> but um... Anti- Like, baby antidepressants. <laughs> Here's some CBD right. kid. Um, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I do think that it was a huge, it hugely, I don't think I traced that um, immediately, but it did really impact me. And mm-hmm. um, if I had been able to just like interact with kids normally, I probably would have like made more friends and it wouldn't have whatever become such a huge part mm-hmm. of my life and distanced me socially from people. Um yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think, and then I experienced with later in life with my mom, she went to the hospital a number of times, uh, and you saw this, Gabby, like I, I remember distinctly during the, was it 2008 Olympics, we were watching them at your house, do you remember this? Yeah, I don't remember the year, but like I yeah, well, it was it was like that time. Yeah, and so it was like two thousand eight or two thousand nine, and I was watching the Olympics, and there was like some funny thing that happened in a commercial, and I remember you uh, like tried to imitate it with your face, and it was a cartoon character, and so you were imitating a cartoon character with your face, but to me, it immediately <laughs> read in my brain as a seizure, and I just started crying. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember that. I totally remember that. Yeah, because that was – I still think about that. I still think about the fact that, like, I shouldn't make crazy faces. Or if someone around us makes, like, a really crazy face, I'm like – Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Full. yeah, I think about it still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that really well. And yeah. I remember being like, well, that that's weird. I don't know why I'm actually just breaking down in tears. And then the same thing would happen mm-hmm. with ambulances. Um, yeah, I remember For that a period too. of time. They still kind of make me a bit spooky, but, like, who feels great when an ambulance passes? Um, yeah. If, if you're raising your hand, I need you to leave. No. Oh. Um, yeah, anyway, so those, I definitely have had, uh, trauma responses or, um, made to feel like I was experiencing trauma before I was able to, like, mm-hmm. uh, necessarily process it myself. And I, so I've sort of experienced, uh, different different aspects of that conversation personally mm-hmm. I also want to say something interesting that I just remember really distinctly that kind of relates to just your like healing <laughs> trajectory 
is I remember in yoga era, mm-hmm. <laughs> so James and I, James uh, was a yoga teacher. She would go to yoga like three times a week. And I would, there was a time where I came, came with her a lot and I started to like understand the social scene there. Big yoga era. So I remember around <laughs> that time was when you were doing, which is interesting because it's reflected by the yoga also. It was like really kind of like deep healing about your past. Mm-hmm. And I think one of your biggest turning points, and you told me this, um, was you said that you always had an urge to immediately tell that story mm. to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said that a big thing for you was realizing that you shouldn't. And like, especially in yoga, you were constantly meeting new people. Yeah. And you would tell me, you were like, yeah, I immediately get this urge to be like, this happened, this happened, this happened to my mom, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you stopped telling the story. And I remember you telling me that that was so helpful mm-hmm. <laughs> for you. Yeah. It's like noticing that pattern and then being like, I don't need to tell that story. That doesn't have to be my introduction, doesn't have to be my identity. Um, mm-hmm. And I do th- kind of feel the relation to kind of early as a kid, someone being like, hey, this is so important that you have to be taken out of class and talk about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To yeah, kind yeah. of the end of that or like the soothing of that cycle being the opposite, you know? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. I think also when um, you like, make the choice of like when it is a, a, a safe time, um, an appropriate time, like a time when you actually have the space to tell your story, like being able to choose that actually gives you um, a power over it, right? It gives you a power over the narrative mm-hmm. rather than the narrative owning you and being like, I used to, I literally used to go on first dates mm-hmm. and think, okay, if this goes mm-hmm. somewhere, they're going to need to meet my parents and they're going to need to know what happened to my mom and they're going to need to know what happened. Little did I know what happened to my dad, but I was just like, I thought that it was, <laughs> I was like, I need to tell them now. And that is absolutely insane mm-hmm. um, looking back mm-hmm. because, you know, when I, thankfully when I met Chris and like really got to know him, I had gotten past mm-hmm. that like impulse and I was able to like give a full introduction of myself and then be like, okay, this is also something that is a part of me when, when it was time. And mm-hmm. when I felt like I was, um, I was just in, in control of it. I had the, I had the power, not like the narrative having the power, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that was like a full yeah, and what's, a sign of healing for me, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I also feel it kind of, if you think of the way that story is told, it's like, presenting it at the beginning you know and like being like this is me Mm -hmm. it's like I'm setting the tone for everything I'm making this this like big kind of cloud of like this is the weather right Mm -hmm. whereas what it really is is like an explanation or like just a factor in your life Mm -hmm. you know yeah and that's the thing with trauma that I think is interesting or the way to look at it or anything in our lives is like really just that really slight difference you know what I mean like talking about it later when it's time to meet your parents or when it's time to explain some kind of behavior you have is more like a it's like a tool it's like functional it's like hey this is in my programming Mm -hmm. right as opposed to being like hey this is me this is what you're gonna deal with like welcome to the bouncy house (laughs) of you know this experience um yeah yeah it's really interesting and also that brings up something else that I haven't thought about yet which is how so much of the trauma conversation isn't internal it's kind of it's involved it always involves someone else because Mm. it's about explaining yourself Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah like does defining something as trauma I think defining something as trauma or like traumatic helps internally but then I think 
there's this other layer of like we're talking about now is like when you tell the story if you want to tell the story why you're telling the story if you even should tell the story it is the way that I see it manifesting now it's like I I don't have the right words for it but it's something that exists like in the public space almost Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like the way we're seeing it now is like this is my trauma. I am telling you guys this story about me, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is I'm thinking. I'm thinking like about that. Yeah, humanity. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about. Yeah, that. I don't have it complete. Well, because basically, like, I've never thought of it. Um, I've thought of. I definitely like the crying thing and the ambulance thing. I was like, oh, that's like a sign of like PTSD vibes. But I mm-hmm. never thought like. I have a trauma I'd like to share with you or like this is my trauma. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never like developed that vocabulary into my brain necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I think part of mm-hmm. that is because I didn't – I wasn't processing what had happened while the trauma conversation was happening publicly um, on social media and like in the mm-hmm. culture. So I didn't have to like – take that like Miley Cyrus wrecking ball and attach it to my to my story you know (laughs) I was just kind of like okay Mm -hmm. this is this is the thing that happens and we're gonna process it but um but I think it also just makes it so easy to be able to tell a story and then have like a really specific label and be like rather than breaking it down if you're explaining something to someone it's easier to Mm -hmm. be like this is trauma it's just easier right like even telling mm-hmm. you the story now, it's for me such a part of my past. It's a huge part of who, who I am, but I don't think about it every day. It's still difficult, of course. And like, it would be so much fucking easier if I could just say like, here's my trauma. Like it actually would, I, <laughs> I, I wonder if it would be easier because then everyone sort of like knows to bow their head and like listen and, and it like brings reverence mm-hmm. rather than sort of having to... Like, it, it sort of wraps it up already. But, like, in, ultimately, like, life is so incredibly messy and there's so many different levels to an experience mm-hmm. um, that delivering it in, like, a true form can really be difficult, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I feel like, like, the, like you said, the urge to call things trauma and kind of lean into the brokenness, it is easier and it has rewards, mm-hmm. right? But the yeah. rewards, I don't think are, I mean, it depends on the person. I think everyone's different. Some people, I'm sure that really leaning into it helps them. But for me personally, it's like, and I believe for you too, it's like the reward of like attention or like coddling is just not worth the toll of it overtaking my identity. Because if you attach yourself to something and create a reward system with something, mm-hmm. it becomes bigger you know it's like if sharing the trauma sharing the thing becomes rewarding people start to treat you like you're so (laughs) broken and sweet and you know you get to call the shots more you know you get to tell your roommates hey I can't (laughs) I can't do the dishes today because of my trauma (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. there's there can be gains in that Um, yeah and I I even like but at the sacrifice of not moving on (laughs) yeah yeah you know yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, that's sort of what the podcast that we listened to talked about. And this is something that I have I can attest to from personal experience. It's just like accepting the idea of resilience is so much harder, but it is like an absolute part of our, our human DNA. Um, 
hundred percent, and hundred percent. And if it wasn't, we probably wouldn't have made it this far as like a civilization. <laughs> like yeah, absolutely, I. <laughs> it's crazy to actually think about. I just want to say a pretty crazy story that I wasn't going to tell because it weirdly doesn't feel crazy. It was right down the road. Um, my boyfriend's <laughs> uh, like childhood best friend uh, is out here working on a property mm-hmm. and he has this old busted up red truck mm-hmm. and we woke up on Sunday morning to news that his truck was upside down completely crushed completely crashed in a riverbed 30 feet off of a bridge yeah uh, we go over there and you just looking we hadn't gotten a call from the hospital yet they had to confirm he was a contact all this stuff it took hours um, he was in the hospital and uh, the truck is upside down. The cab is full of blood. This is a truck that I was like literally like in <laughs> two days prior. Um, and it just looks like someone died, right? Yeah. And he gets released from the hospital the same day. Nothing wrong with him but a fractured cheekbone. He's just completely bruised and stitched up and he's ready healing. <laughs> yeah. And it was fucking crazy. But that just came to mind for, like, resilience. Like, just the metaphor of resilience for the physical body. Obviously, not everyone's that lucky, but... Yeah. There's... That's just an extreme example of someone who just, like, should have been dead. But the body tries really hard not to die. And yeah. tries really hard not to experience physical trauma. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. That... I mean, I saw the I photos. Think... That was an absolutely insane thing that he even survived, much less his walk walking away with a... Uh, positive yeah, spin ridiculous. on it that's a long story <laughs> don't drink and drive folks yeah that's why i'm like not so sympathetic because i'm just like fucker um, yeah but yeah, yeah. <laughs> i do think it, that also brings this up to, for me is like i hate things that go against nature and i think <laughs> denying your ability to move on and heal and at, or at least not making that the focal point like i almost feel like <clears throat> choosing to be broken choosing to really associate with any kind of darkness any kind of bad memory any severe trauma even I would say is a choice to not recognize that like healing is possible Mm -hmm. or not only possible but kind of like you're right and like the nature of how things go Mm -hmm. you know yeah um because we don't nobody gets better you know what I'm saying just like how the body doesn't it just does its best, you know, to, like, make it so you can still function. Right, right. And it's, like, that's nature, you know? Yeah, I mean... But it's, like, if you get a wound, you get a bruise, and you just keep hitting the same spot, that bruise is just always going to be there, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you protect your thigh a little bit, keep it away from the door, co- <laughs> the, the car door. Yeah. Um, you know, you get your thigh back. <laughs> well, it's also, like, this concept of, um wounds versus scars where it's like um you know for instance if we oh that's interesting if we want to like do this I can uh which I don't know if we do but basically like I for a long time I had this I had two scars on my feet because I had stepped on Mm -hmm. a broken mirror that my mom had broken the night before uh in in the living room and for a long Mm -hmm. time I like would focus on those scars and Mm. it was interesting because the bottom one healed so quickly, so quickly because I was using the bottom of the foot. Um, 
but I could still see the scar. But the top one, like, took a, a while to heal. I, again, didn't tell anyone at school why I was like. I really focused on that scar for a really long time. And I think but it's sort of bending mm-hmm. the metaphor a little bit. But I think there is something to, like, I still have the scar on the top of my foot, but I don't associate it with the broken mirror anymore. And I think mm. there's something to, like, things do heal. And there still can be, like, a remnant of that. Like, I can still be affected telling the story but it doesn't still it doesn't like hold the same weight of like okay like I'm reliving it again and again and again to the very depths of Mm. that experience because it doesn't serve me at this time you know Mm -hmm. do you feel like that was a choice or just something like weathered by time um it happened when I was in middle school so it's hard to remember at this point but like that particular incident, your I think, percept- was like weathered your perception. by time. Oh, definitely like a choice. Yeah. I think it was a choice because... Yeah, see, that's big. It was a choice because I just got tired of... I mean, it's very, like, one note. Like, that story, that, like, story of my life is, is a very one-noted story. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's, like, it becomes tiresome, like, always pay- playing that single faceted character, if that makes sense. Um and I think something that's interesting is like we're all like talking about Gen Z. We're talking about Gen Z like so sad. They're all so sad. I I I <laughs> believe it, but at the same time, like it took me until I'd say my mid early mid twenties to really like graduate out of that like reliving and rehashing and like start moving into like genuine processing and healing. Um, mm-hmm. And like everyone in Gen Z is so young, like. I just think we're we're being a little bit too um, we're we're thinking a little bit too much <laughs> about a group we're of people. Them. Yeah, like we're giving them, we're putting so much on them that like they're just in like their euphoria stage, you know. Mm-hmm. Also, I just want to say before I forget, like the metaphor of like the top cut and the bottom cut, like the bottom of your foot healing so fast because you use it so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It's just an interesting metaphor. I'm trying to piece yeah. it together. I'm using it. Yeah. Well, also, I think it's – I was using the foot for more than, like – I was using the foot for so many purposes. The foot was, like, necessary to, like, for, like, forward momentum, the bottom of the foot. And mm-hmm. the top of the foot, like, I could see it all the time. I, I always could focus on it if I wanted to. Um, it was always, mm-hmm. you know, there when I took my my shoe off. So I think – yeah. There's something uh, to, like, the multifacetedness of a person. Um, yeah, anyway, I think, like, the the trauma line, like, any narrative, any narrative. you could, Your narrative could be, like, I was the best in high school and I got all the A's. Like, totally. Your narrative totally. could be, I don't know, any anything. It could be a positive or a negative, but one single narrative is so boring, right? Like, mm-hmm. no matter what, it just gets so tiresome. And, and the beautiful thing and about people. And it's untrue. Yeah, the beautiful thing about people Biggest is solution. we're so many we're so many different things at once. Absolutely. Yeah. Completely agree. And it's like I think you're cheating yourself. Right. When you don't let the, you know, when you say like, "Hey, okay, this is my diagnosis. This is what I like what I am. This is this event I'm never going to my whole life is going to be about this story, you know." Mhm. Yeah. And then you miss out. You could be living wonderful lives and you can't even tell because you're seeing it through the like, you know, the tunnel of your hero's journey 
Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, good things and bad. Yeah. Like, yeah, people who think they were so gifted students, you know, right? Told they're smart <laughs> all through elementary school and then fail everybody and think they're a failure. And or even like people <laughs> who a lot of that. are completely golden and think they're golden their whole lives and never have the opportunity to fully like experience mistakes, which is such a beautiful thing and such a huge like. Oh, true, true. So many quantum leaps come from like making a mistake and feeling it. You know. Hmm. Yeah, and then it brings, like, a fear of making mistakes, which is, like, a fear of doing really anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, should I tell my, like, weird... Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to share a story just because it's, like, such an interesting, like, spectrum of people's reactions and just the whole trauma convo. Um, so I had this thing happen, I've talked about it many times before, where I was, like, followed home and, like, attacked and, like, felt up and then they ran away. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the worst thing ever for me. It's just that I did end up getting, like, psychosis PTSD Mm -hmm. after because – and this gave me kind of a perception of what PTSD is because just like he said actually in the Barry Weiss podcast, he said that too. He was like, trauma isn't, like, a given. Like, something really traumatic could happen to something, someone and somehow the brain doesn't register it, whereas something more minor or – traumatic can happen so this was one of those cases where for some reason I just experienced so much terror when the guy was right behind me and it was kind of this like lead up of stress because it was just a series of events where like I just it was such a surprise I Mm -hmm. think trauma that's a surprise is also a really different thing and um so I had psychosis for a while and it can come back but it's lessened so much but basically like it was just I would sort of hallucinate that if anyone was like behind me I was like I felt like they were like a criminal about to attack Mm -hmm. me and even if a friend like surprised me it was like you said with like the seizure face I would immediately just like cry okay and um yeah I would have like hallucinations of people behind me things like that but I and I got through it without a doctor or anything because I just treated it like when you (laughs) when you eat an edible (laughs) you know and you're like why is my like I feel like my let me check something really quick my, like, levels are so high all of a sudden. Okay, this is better. I think I just had the mic. I really don't like this fucking program. Okay, I see. I see. Okay, it's a little fixed. And my voice will just get louder later for a reason I don't have any clue about. <laughs> okay. Damn. So, um, yeah, so I just got through it by treating it like when you have too many edibles and you're like, I'm so fucked up, should I call the cops? And then you're just like, no, it's going to be over, right? So anytime I had any kind of like yeah. psychosis feeling, hallucination feeling, huge fear, whatever, I'd just be like, no, it's because of that thing that happened, like get over it. And it just got less and less and I mm-hmm. hardly ever think about it anymore. Um, but when it happened, right when it happened, I texted you <laughs> and yeah. a couple other people and I'll never forget that you gave me like a really calm answer you were like I'm gonna be home soon like you're okay you're safe or like something just very kind and like grounding right and I texted Mm -hmm. another friend who immediately was like oh my god men are so disgusting like the world is so unsafe like you know this is gonna like affect you for like a long time and like you know just like really bringing the whole like you're traumatized like coddling thing onto me and I immediately was like, hell no, yeah. like, this is not helpful. Like, I just like, and that's someone that I actually had a hard time kind of being friends with because of that reason, because they were so um, into that kind of trauma, like coddling, like, 
fuck the patriarchy. Like, you know, like they made it this whole conversation about like men and the patriarchy and how like I was like a a weak woman walking home and it's so sad and the world is so sad. And I was like, that's not what I need right now, like at all. And it's never going to be what I need for this situation whatsoever. Um, Yeah. But that's the language that we see a lot of people talking with online, you know, like even like the West Elm Caleb thing. It's like you were love bombed by a narcissist. It's like, no, you're just like (laughs) dating in your early 20s, like relax, you know, so I immediately was like, hell no. But I remember I had that distinct moment of like, James knows what to do. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like James knows what I need, you know, and I'm sure someone else maybe needed the the patriarchy conversation, but I really didn't. And I was like, I'm never going to talk to that friend about this because it was so, it was just so like, like unhelpful. Right. And then I want to go into the other direction, (laughs) which is, I think this is funny. I'm going to say trigger warning. It's like, I feel like it could trigger somebody. Um, But to me, it's hilarious. And I think it's very funny. Yeah, I just, like, sometimes, I remember I told my mom, and she was, like, so, like, in terror. <laughs> so, I, but, uh, <laughs> Well, she's so, also, like, like, it's your her daughter. I, you know. I know. And I think it was also, I told her that when I first told her what happened. So, she, <laughs> yeah, I told her years later yeah. what happened when I already figured it out. Um, but, okay, so I was working at Blake Art Materials <laughs> in Santa Monica. <laughs> shout out, shout out. fucking, I would walk home all the time, which was, like, two miles. And on my way home, there was always this, like, burrito shop, like, this, like, Mexican restaurant that was just one of those. L.A. has a bunch of these where they're, like, restaurants that, like, nobody goes to anymore, you know? It was one of those Mexican I've restaurants. I've literally never been there, and I've, I lived going up and down that street for three years yeah because it wasn't like good food like it's like how are you guys in business still like it was just like a huge one of those like huge mexican restaurants on the west side that's like <laughs> not very few are like this but i think lincoln has like a stress of those um but i would sometimes get a burrito yeah. there and the guy at the register was like a young just like dumb dude <laughs> But I would always go and he would like flirt with but he was kind of cute like he was like he had like green eyes and was just like he was hot, but he was, like, dumb in the sense that he had, like, gang tattoos without, like, being in a gang, you know? Like, he had all that, like, L.A. Right. shit and, like, but was just, like, oh, worked no. at the register and, like, smoked <laughs> a lot of weed. And, like, he was dumb as fuck. Like, he was dumb. Um, but I would go there because he would give me, like, free horchata. And I would sit and talk to him and it was just, like, funny, right? And so <laughs> after that shit happened to me, I told him about it and I was like in there and I was like dude I was like something really scary happened to me like this guy followed me home and grabbed me like felt me up and left and I oh he goes he goes damn he must have really liked you huh (laughs) that's what he fucking said to me and I laughed so fucking hard I laughed so hard I was like this dumb guy in the burrito shop is saying what you're not supposed to fucking say but it was so funny you know and I wouldn't recommend anyone yeah, saying yeah. that to anyone. But for me, I was, like, grateful. Yeah. I was, like, someone is not making this a whole thing. <laughs> I was, like, this dude is just, like, you know, saying literally the worst thing, apparently. But I thought it was yeah. so funny, you know. Because I, you know, yeah. I knew the intention. <laughs> I knew his, right, his, right. his where he was coming from. Um, but I just thought it was, I was laughing. <laughs> and I remember laughing, like, the whole way home. Like, it was just so. Yeah like wrong and amazing um yeah I share that because I feel like in that situation I got so much perspective on like 
I don't know how you perceive a bad event. And it's like you have the guy at the burrito mm-hmm. shop literally being like, damn, he just wanted to touch you, you know? And you're like, what the right. fuck? And then you have, you know, someone in the middle like you who's like, bad things happen. Doesn't mean that everything's bad. Doesn't mean you're cursed. I think you said that to me. Like, we talked about that. I remember a big part of us processing it was being like, this doesn't have to turn into like, always walking home is bad and men are bad. Right, and right, it's right. just like, this is a random situation as random as like, you know, me accidentally getting hit by a car or something. You know what I mean? Like anything can happen and it did yeah. and it happened to and that's it. Um, that was the vibe that really helped me. You know, and then my other friend who's like, this is why life is unsafe and life sucks and it's always going to suck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, What's well, something that just popped in my head and is so like w- the New York Times article talks about how trauma uh, on the internet is used to describe people or the word abusers and like mm. um and love bombing and stuff like that and it's it it's used in in a very like casual way but all of those things are like um things that are diagnosed after showing a pattern right um and then the mm-hmm. psychologist in the podcast talks about how trauma is something that like is a response that is or PTSD is something that is maintained over a month uh, uh, and or longer mm. um and so it's an interesting thing where, like, that specific instance happened to you. And my response uh, was just, like, this is an individual incident. Like, these are fl- fluke things happen. Mm-hmm. But bad things do happen. But it was a fluke. You've walked home hundreds of times, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, not connecting it to a pattern right away is, like, very helpful and not, like, creating it. Mm-hmm. like marking it as a trauma I think in your mind right yeah. so like if you if something happens and then your friend responds to you as like linking you to a pattern of like uh, misogyny over the years and like you know all whatever all of the things Danger it, it becomes dangerous. immediately like yeah like it becomes uh it becomes a pattern even though like you personally haven't experienced the pattern but you're part of a pattern does mm-hmm. that make sense yeah absolutely. so then you take on like a trauma that isn't personal to you but is like the trauma of being a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or whatever you want to call it. Um, anyway, that that's something that really struck me when you were talking. Um, and I think that's really, like, I- interesting for those people out there who are like, is there something that I'm doing that can help me not, you know? Yeah, that I'm thinking the Think guy. about things as traumas, right? <laughs> the burrito shop guy is on the complete opposite spectrum. Right. <laughs> He's like, it's not a pattern. Yeah. Girl, you just really like me. Yeah. <laughs> But also, also another thing when you were talking about that, and I've been thinking um, recently, like I, I just started watching Seinfeld, and I know that you and I used to sort of watch it, but like I never really like paid attention fully. I didn't really understand the characters. I didn't really grow up with it. Um, for some reason, my parents like didn't like it, which I think is funny because it's truly hilarious. But mm-hmm. so many things now, when weird, awkward things happen. Um, when like Mercury and retrograde was happening and such such weird shit was happening, weird interactions across the board, um, I was just like, this is so Seinfeld. Like this is so Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. And I realized the the value of like humor is so so important. It's huge because it it does help us to like break like the the panic cycle that happens in our minds mm-hmm. because we're you know we're survival beings, right? It's, it makes sense, mm-hmm. but being able to be like lol this could have been on Seinfeld um just changes everything and like I just I feel so grateful to like comedians and like humor and just Mm -hmm. like 
being able to laugh at things in general is so it's that's so he I know it's like live laugh love or whatever but man like oh it's true I mean, it physically so, relaxes your body yeah. <laughs> like have you ever had a laugh attack while like yeah. wrestling somebody it's like your muscles go limp you know and it's like yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing it's like if you're t- like <laughs> stress is held physically and emotionally and energetically and it's like laughter literally releases it you know we're still laughter still a mystery too, yeah you know but just by observation of what it mm-hmm. is and what it does you know and I have to say like that moment like it's just it's so crazy to think that such a like you know <laughs> that guy would be canceled <laughs> that would be if someone said that yeah. in a show you know right, it would be right, so right, right. bad you know <laughs> even if even yeah. if they set up the guy as the dumb burrito guy you know what I mean <laughs> yeah even if they did yeah. that it would have been like yeah. terrible writing but like I swear to god like that yeah. moment I laughed so fucking hard I was like yeah it was like the beginning of like the end <laughs> um yeah yeah humor's humor so important and like the pattern observation is very real very real because the thing is like like the pattern thing is like narrative and it's like every illusion like that's kind of everything we talk about it's like you're gonna live illusions anyway Mm -hmm. so choose it really fucking wisely yeah and also the concept of like just because something's true and valid doesn't mean it needs to be part of your life you know, where it's like, I'm going to die mm-hmm. one day. 100%. You're going to die one day. You know, it's going to happen to one of us first. And that's all sad That news. remains to be seen, Gabby. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what if we die together? Okay. You're right. Whoa. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I would like that, personally. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would like us both to die. Very old as witches. Okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, and yeah, we know what's gonna happen because we're so perceptive. We go to like the top of a hill and we're like, "Goodbye, good earth." That'd be so sick and sad. <laughs> that that's would be actually very sick. so heartbreaking. Okay, but that's the thing. I know I'm gonna <laughs> die. People are gonna die, but it's like, do I think about that every day? Do I like live in the realm of death every day? No, because then I'm just living in the realm of death. Yeah. I'm missing everything. You know what I mean? I'm missing the life. Yeah. That makes that death okay. <laughs> you know. Right, right, right. Um, or even makes the death so sad. If you have a wonderful life, a lot of times that can be what makes the life you know, the I death sad actually, because you're leaving the life or whatever. I literally wrote about that on Tumblr recently where I was thinking, or into my own private Tumblr actually, about how the desire to make things so bad or not experience love or be really cruel to people or to not let people get close to you is to make death easier, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I was thinking, mm-hmm. like, the times that I don't want to die are, like, times like these where it's, like, I'm deeply loved. I have a great relationship with my parents. I have, you know, great friends like you. I have a dog that visits. And I'm, like, life is so sweet. I don't want to leave. And I don't want mm-hmm. people to leave, right? But then the moments when you don't mm-hmm. have that or you don't have good relationships and, you know, you're not close to your parents and you're, like, well, they're going to die anyway. You know, it's, like, it's not as sad. And I wonder if we do that on purpose like we if people purposely live these detached dark lives because they're more afraid of you know pain than they are you know anything else I think so yeah I think so I mean I I definitely have done that uh personally Mm -hmm. and like almost consciously and it's not great definitely but it like it you, you but I almost think like it can be part of the process of like detaching a little bit where it's like if you can go all the way to that place you can sort of walk it back yeah I feel like Um, I used to be like that way more especially with my parents and like and I think it was a practice and like wanting to accept death and now I'm like well 
I've done that. Like, I have that programmed into me, and now I'm just going to, like, fully enjoy them, you know? Like, you can do both. Yeah. It's like, I can be my parents' best friend, and I can, like, have the awareness that, like, they will go, and I won't be surprised, you know? Mm-hmm. Ugh. And it still is, still is going to be very hard. That's the thing. Totally. Totally. Um, I do have a qu- something I want to bring up, which I want to get more into, like, the cultural aspects of the trauma stuff. Um, I do want to talk about resilience, too. But before that, I kind of want to say I was thinking, why are we in this, like, trauma era? <laughs> like, why are we mm-hmm. in this place right now where like self-victimization is like in and something that was interesting that the Barry Weiss uh, podcast also said was like he was saying how in uh, the psychologist guy and like in his day and age like strength and resilience was popular and cool and now trauma and victimization is like popular and cool (laughs) like for some reason I would get more responses online if like you know instead of me saying like oh I no I'm trying to think of a situation but it's just like it is the bigger dialogue like we're not Mm -hmm. standing there being like I'm so strong you know it's like people are more susceptible to saying how like weak and how they've been wronged well I wonder if part of that is like with um being really strong and like being badass for having scars like the I know the part of your podcast that you're talking about um like if that also sort of was linked into toxic masculinity and now that we're sort of trying to like unpack that and like detach from that as a culture but and like again it's just the pendulum swinging where it's like the opposite is is the opposite of toxic masculinity like sitting with every single thing so deeply that it Mm -hmm. is fully felt I guess well it's a binary that's no that's a good yeah that part is a big part of it where it's like these cultural narratives which was toxic masculinity but also kind of the past few years where a lot of like oppressed groups are like sharing their truth and it's being Mm -hmm. you know as they should and as it was very valid but then it kind of turned into this thing where it felt like everybody wanted a piece of the pie you know it was like there's people who are technically poor technically you know have you know a skin color that gives them less privileges who technically like physically have issues that make them not able to live like a normal life by society's standards (laughs) all these things that are very like facts and it was kind of a small group of people I will say you know it was like whatever trans people minorities disabled people it was like let's let's talk about this let's help these people and then it kind of felt like everyone (laughs) either those two things happening they want a piece of the pie they wanted their moment they wanted their attention I think that's whether people are conscious of it or not, I think that's always something to look at. <laughs> they wanted their moment of yeah. being like, I'm broken too and I need culture to change for me and be nicer to me, right? And then there was another mm-hmm. aspect which was feeling like you were going to be ostracized and not able to even have a voice unless you had a dark story because people believed you then deserved to speak, right? Um mm-hmm. Because we kind of went into a direction where it was like, no, the people who have problems are talking right now. Nobody else should, right? Some people who still want to talk mm-hmm. are like, well, you know, let's talk about uh, this thing that happened to me that I'm now kind of making into like a much bigger trauma. And like, and also the spectrumization yeah. of so many uh, mental illnesses is happening. You know what I mean? It used to be that like 
mm-hmm. someone who's autistic was just someone who was not functional, like, you know, who couldn't be in a classroom with kids because they had different, you know, behaviors and, and motor skills and things. And then now it's like you have somebody on TikTok being like, I'm autistic, but they have, or they're in a relationship and they're in public school and like they're fully functioning, but they have like some quirks, you know what I mean? And I think it's like mm-hmm. valid, like it's obviously valid, but I, to, to express yourself, but it's like, I wonder if these labels, how far they really go, but it does feel like someone being like, hey, I'm disabled too. Hey, me too. So now I can, now I have the right to speak online, right? That was an aspect. Yeah. But I think a bigger thing, which is a little less kind of uh, like pointing blamey, <laughs> like a little less like pointing fingers at people is I do think mm-hmm. the past few years have been a practice in humans collectively wanting to show how vulnerable they are in the name of mm-hmm. getting more care from society, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the kind of idea yeah. that like, hey, this whole, like you said, even this like toxic masculinity infused kind of energy of keep going make money work hard created a system in which you know you have these long work days and nobody gets really anything yeah and the idea was like hey if we show that we're depressed we're wounded we're disabled even though we're not you know yeah like the system (laughs) has set us up to be like you need to to take a sick day you need to have fucking covid and now you can't even like take a sick day with COVID, you know, like this, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. uh, the system we're operating in, like, asks us to be completely broken in order to take time for ourselves, I think, is a big part of it, too. Um, yeah, like, fucking pregnancy and, leave, two weeks. I was right, ranting about that right, at, absolutely a, at dinner the other day, and then a woman came up behind me, and she was like, yep, she was like, you're right, I had my kid, two weeks, I got to leave work, and I had to go back, and she was like, I was still stapled. You know, Insane. and so it's like Insane. this idea where it's like, yeah. do we have to prove that that's terrible? Like, is that how we get things in this world by saying like, I'm so broken and I'm so traumatized and I'm, I have this disorder, yeah. even though I kind of only have it minorly, but I need to. It's almost like when you call out of work. Well, you know what I mean? It's like right. a really big version of calling out of work, where it's like. You're sick and you definitely can't work, but you know your boss is going to, like, see it as so much smaller and they're not going to understand how bad yeah. you need your sick day, right? So you're like, I threw yeah. – you didn't throw up, but you tell them you throw up and you have a fever or something, even though you're just, like, still really sick and shouldn't go to work. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, I think – one thing I will say just, like, as um, a rebuttal to, like – I agree with what you're saying, but I also think, like, this – this goes a lot deeper than just like the past couple years and like the um, sort of like people speaking out to like balance out their privilege or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I, I do remember like in the 90s, my mom being like, one day you'll be able to tell your story and like everyone will like love you because of it. And I, <laughs> and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but like that, that thinking came like pre any of this, pre social media. It came, but it was in in the realm of like Vogue magazine, Vanity Fair, these these articles or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, but that's still I a do tale think it's of just a part of you know what I mean. But it but it wasn't a tale of resilience. It, it was it was like you'll tell everyone how is it a tale of resilience? Well, it was back then, yeah. But but 
I guess so. Because your mom's saying, That's oh, you're going to have such thing. a hard time, and then you're going to get through it, and then you're going to be on the other side of this, and you're uh, yeah, going to say, hey, guys, right. you would never I guess, guess right. you know. I have this beautiful blonde but curly I hair, think... and I'm so happy, but <laughs> this is where I came from, yeah, yeah, and everyone's yeah, yeah. like, oh, she deserves yeah, it, yeah. you know? Whereas now people, it but what seems I'm like saying they stay is, in it. Sorry. Is like... <laughs> But, but what I'm saying is like yeah I get I get what you're saying but how I read it was like this is this was someone who was telling this to like a under ten year old right so she was telling yeah. this ten year old person hold on to your victimhood mm-hmm. yes yes and yes, I think yes. that that like I used to like I feel like victimhood was pre like trauma right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I was told that and that's why I held on to it for so long so I do think this was like pre this has gone back for ages and has just morphed mm-hmm. morphed in different ways and we're just reaching a fever pitch because everyone has a, a mic now. Yes, um, I say yes. literally speaking into a mic. But um, <laughs> I think it's just <laughs> – I just think that, um, you know, I think it's always been there. It's just a part of, like, the human impulse to need to be special in any, any way possible. And totally. even if that is, like – a difference that is debilitating in some mm. way and then you magnify it. I magnified it personally for so long without the benefit. I didn't get any fucking benefits. I was suffering, mm-hmm. but there was a part of me that thought that maybe one day I would and then I absolutely did not and had to let go of it in order to get any benefits at all. You know what I mean? See, like, see, interesting. But, that is well said. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I <laughs> I didn't have I didn't have I didn't have like the thought that I could blow up on like trauma talk or whatever it's called <laughs> trauma TikTok. Yeah. I didn't, you know, it was, but it was still something that I thought could happen because it was something that was passed down to me. And like, it, but at back then it was, it was victimhood. It was a different word. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, no, absolutely. I just think it's morphing. It, and I think victimhood's also like alive and well. Um, it's funny because yeah. my dad would say the same thing, but in a different way where like, literally, I, I feel like he's just said this over a hundred times throughout my life. Like, he would always say, like, Americans love a story, love a story. So it's like, uh, like someone would be making a speech on, like, the Academy Awards. Like, someone wins an award, and they're like, I was just a small town girl, <laughs> you know. Right, 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 right. my right, dad right, right. died, you know, my dad would always just be in the background. Yeah. Like, Americans love a story. They need a story. <laughs> um, it's so funny. It's so true. So it was kind of like he was calling that out <laughs> also yeah but it's true though yeah because the thing is is like it is true in the sense that like uh there is a resilient tale of like you deserve it but i just feel like now the theme isn't so much like you know i got through this it's like i'm in this and like you better treat me mm-hmm. this way or like mm-hmm. you better treat me differently because of my thing that I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it is definitely, like, um, there is definitely something to, like, the privilege of it all where it's, like, you can, you can claim hardship by going back into your past and, uh, you know, rooting around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two questions. I want Which to is dangerous. The... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> The toxic masculinity thing I want to talk about more because I feel like that shows, like, the binary spectrum of, like, there's the toxic masculinity masculinity uh, vibe <laughs> where something bad happens to you and everyone's, like, toughen up. Like, shut up. Don't think about it, right? And then mm-hmm. there's, like, the other opposite spectrum where it's, like, we're 
a lot of culture is right now, which is like, this is the worst thing ever. And like, I'm never going to get out of this. I need to heal. I'm constantly broken. But then there's like the middle place, which I think you and I fucking access, you know, (laughs) which is like, Mm -hmm. yeah, move on. But also like, you know, you're going to have to do some cleanup too. And that's okay. And you can talk about it with me any day. You know what I mean? Like we can talk about it whenever, but like, you know, it's also a really good tool to not dwell Right. I mean, I think part of it is like um, accepting that something will be with you. But like, I think my how I started to look at things is like, I want to learn to love myself in every facet of myself. And so it's just time to expand what the what I see myself as. Mm-hmm. Right. So and like, I'm deeply grateful for everything that has brought me to this place. Right. But I don't, so I don't see the things that happened as, like, um, negatives anymore. Like, they were difficulties, but I, but they were, they helped me earn resilience. And I think um, that is a really important thing to, to focus on because um, it's, like, the rope dangling above, like, the, the quicksand. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Um, people might see the rope and be like, if I pull myself up, like I'm pulling myself up on my own and it's pulling myself up by my bootstraps. Mm -hmm. Like we have now all of these sort of like uh, catchphrases that go through our heads of like, you know, is it, it, is it inappropriate to do that? Mm -hmm. Is it even possible? Or am I like just buying into like the capitalist mindset of like, show up to work because like you got to make your money and like that's all that matters but I think there is something that's like over the course of human history pre any of these systems we we had to like continually keep going we had to surmount huge pains and and trials tribulations like Mm -hmm. otherwise like again we just wouldn't be here if we couldn't do it you know like (laughs) yeah well I think so the thing is you bring up the capitalist thing which I think is relevant and I also want to ask a question after this but like I think the difference is like so first off I want to say resilience is just such a perfect word because I think it's the perfect middle distance between those two off like opposite conditions of how to get over things or how to like act through things because it's like resilience implies like what happened happened and then you kind of like worked through it you know and you 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 know it's like it's not like the top like the (laughs) toxic masculinity aspect of just like it never happened get over it like you know shut the fuck up and move on you know it's like it happened and like I'm working to heal it like I love the word resilience I think that's great um but with the capitalist thing I'm thinking it's like I think resilience is so powerful internally and it's like there's a big Mm -hmm. difference between like your employer being like you know shut up and work hard so that you can make them profits versus you saying Mm -hmm. let's move on so I can have a good day and enjoy my relationship and enjoy my life you know what I mean absolutely and I think that's the distinction that actually really bothers me about a lot of cultural conversations that go so far in this direction of politics it's like the self and politics are very separate like politics is like Mm -hmm. it's like a feeble construct that we are part of and it any like you know, when we talk about anything about wellness, like, people will be very quick to attack wellness as, like, um, this sort of privileged perspective on 
things when, you know, society is so bad and the only way to heal people is through like fixing capitalism. And I'm like, those are separate things, dude. You know, like your internal conversation of resilience is like different than your, you know, whatever's happening out there systemically. Right. And they do intersect, obviously. But it's the same way that like I would tell my friend to start meditating more, but I wouldn't become president and tell everyone, hey, you know, just meditate, (laughs) you know. Yeah. It's like there's yeah. different they're different things, you know? Like group think yeah. is not self think or interpersonal think. Um but why am I saying that? Okay, this was my question that I really want to ask. Is like I feel like the trauma thing is a way to kind of express all vulnerability collectively to be like we're not happy with like society, we're not happy with this time we're in where you can't afford a house, you can't afford to have a family, everything that we're supposed to have we can't, so we're showing you how much more care we need do we think that that actually works do we think that showing weakness brings more care does it huh (laughs) or genuine care does it i mean and what is care and kindness yeah that's a good question i think um i i mean this is the thing is like this this moment is so new that it's i i hate to be the person that's like we have to wait and see but I am curious to see how things pan out because again like this is like the the most active Gen Z is like the most active new generation Mm -hmm. and they're gonna start defining things in the next like 10 years I mean they already are but like in in systemic ways Mm -hmm. so I I do wonder but I don't think at this point like anything I don't the unfortunate thing is like baby boomers are still in charge and I don't think that they can like relate to like what's happening. Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I think that's part of it. So I mm-hmm. think I, I, I could see it being like, um, maybe millennials, but Gen Zers like come into like more power and, and then there's like an effort to create structures of care, um, because of this, like, experience of growing up in like the age of trauma <laughs> mm-hmm. or whatever whatever people are calling it but I don't know <laughs> if it's going to happen top down right now if that makes sense I don't know if the response is going to be right now like go ahead no keep going I was just like starting to talk. <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> I um, but you know what I mean like it's just like yes. there is a generational divide a and like the baby boomers do come from like a completely different era they came from the era of like their parents had them after world war ii they went through vietnam like their their like uh generational events were crazy like absolutely nuts like we chris and i watched the the jfk there's a a clip in like this stupid movie jfk i think it's stupid but uh because they, they mirrored it on Seinfeld, but basically in this movie that was uh, done in the um, in the 90s, mm. they reenact, like, the JFK assassination. Mm. And in the film, they show, they show the assassination, like, the real footage of this JFK assassination Whoa. over and over and over. Damn. And I was watching it. I was like, Chris, this is insane. I can't believe <laughs> they let this happen. Like, how did... Who let this movie go? Who gave them the footage? Like, mm-hmm. I, it's so tasteless. But that was like the '90s, where where people were just showing shit like that, and it was sort of like, 
it happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but if you think about the the generation that lived through that and, Mm -hmm. like, saw their president literally get assassinated in a parade, Mm. those, the baby boomers are on a whole other level. So, like, (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine that they're going to turn around and be like, oh, like, let's implement these systems. The problem is, and I hate to say this because I'm not trying to sound ageist, but, like, people are living way longer and, and yet the generations are... Um, changing so rapidly and so, so there true. is an extreme disconnect and the people in power are like so far mm-hmm. from the people who are like coming up it's so true I also think like not to be all like big pharma brain but it's like my question is like okay if you're calling for like <laughs> care it seems like literally what's happening is instead of sort of seeing ways that we can really naturally improve people's lives and mental health it's just, like, just give them some antidepressants when they're, like, 10. Yeah. People get antidepressants when they're, yeah. like, 5, you know? Yeah. And it's, like, yeah. you know, I think we both kind of grew up in households like this that were very – my family was all about, like, you know, feelings are temporary and, like, go in the sun. And, like, I think a lot of that stuff can be perceived as, like, a little bit, like, rough and tough, but it created, like, a very resilient person who doesn't – Mm-hmm. well on anything and doesn't think I'm broken every time I have like a you know even like a suicidal spell you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I just don't mm-hmm. think I'm that special and broken even when I technically am like if I went into the doctor and told them what I was feeling like I'm just like you know there's ways yeah. or whatever like I have to pass through this or something but I do yeah. think when we call for more care by being vulnerable and being like, I have this problem, I have this problem, like, I'm feeling this, it's like, well, what do we get? It's like we're in capitalism. What do you get? You just get the people in power seeing an opportunity to make more money, you know? And what is that? Antidepressants for as young as they can give them, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And... (sighs) Totally, and that's super... It is unfortunate that that is the response. And... Mm -hmm. um, and how could it really be anything else? People do want quick solutions just like they want fast food. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like yeah. America wanted and maintains, you know, like fast food and like fast fashion and fast solutions, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's like you're a parent, your kid's suicidal or something and you don't know what to do. You bring them to the doctor and they say, give them these pills. It's like, ooh, thank God. That was easy. You know? Right. Like, I understand. I understand where that comes yeah. from. Absolutely. Like. Um, and it sucks. Like, I mean, you know, my mom's entire journey was kicked off because they just started medicating her without any real, um, plan. And that was like, then a over a decades long journey of her being on a rabbit hole of medications, like crazy. And then she got better Um, during yoga era, right? That's when she, yeah, I mean, she, she detoxed. Yeah, yeah. And then it was yeah. Like she, she I mean, she like, detoxed. Yeah. She, yeah, she detoxed on accident after an overdose, and then uh, they detoxed her because they thought she was a suicide risk. Um, and that was when he almost lost her. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like she, they actually. What's crazy is I don't think about this very often. Is they put her back on medication when oh she left the hospital. God. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, here's some like. Simbasol or whatever it was called, um, uh, and like an antidepressant or something. Um, but 
that's crazy to me. But yeah, so she didn't take them after that, and uh, and then she really like had to. It, I mean, it's still a whole thing, but yeah, she completely had to like reinvest in her health and like eating well and figuring out like how to manage what is a chronic fatigue or autoimmune disorder mm-hmm. or mixture of all those things uh, without medication. And I I know that every single day is incredibly hard for her, but she does it without medication, and it's. I mean, she's just, she's here, which yeah, is huge. Yeah, it's incredible um, to see. So, but, I mean, this was someone who literally was like a walking ghost in my life for over mm-hmm. a decade, like, because because of uninformed medication choices. And obviously, like, this was a while ago, so they've made, I think, hopefully some progress. But, like, when you are, you know, you see the Sackler family, like, how that just happened. Like, the opioid crisis just happened. Totally, like, totally, people are dying totally. from fentanyl. It's a... It's it's an endemic right now. People are dying from fentanyl at huge rates, and that's happening. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it is wild that we have so much access to medication in this country and not, like, real solutions. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I don't – and, again, like, that's that's the boomer response. It's unfortunate, Big but, like, that's, response. like, that's the response. And it's, like, the par- – yeah. like, but, like, the paradox paradox of that is just so – huge to me where it's like down here like I always see it as like all the peasants down here are like arguing about like whose trauma is real <laughs> and mm-hmm. demanding to be seen for who they are and, and so that they can be seen as sort of like weaker and more cared for and everything and then it's like but we're all and it's a very kind of like lefty thing to do right in hopes that we get more community care and more systems but I'm like does everyone see what's happening like how it's always been you know, it is just going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, I just, I don't see any place where, like, this system will be, like, you know, shorter work days, like, meditation for children, um, you know, awareness of, because it would require everything to end, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Free health care. I would call for free health care. Yeah, I mean. Emphasis on daily vitamin uh, C from oranges everyone gets an orange tree uh bernie 2016 man um, no um <laughs> it's no just totally like, i, I mean know. this is the thing is i do wonder i do wonder if there is like a collapse coming like of capitalism where people are uh no longer able to like show up for it mm-hmm. <laughs> Because, like, we've, like, gotten to a place of not being able to, like, do that anymore, which is good. Mm-hmm. But maybe that comes from, like, the trauma narrative in some in some way from some people. Yeah. And then there is – and you have, like, the great res- resignment, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then – because the thing is, what really it, it truly is, is unfortunately, like, it is not sustainable to live in, in these conditions. So – there does need to be a change. So I do wonder, there is like, I guess the hopeful part of me, uh, the optimist of me with this trauma moment is like, maybe this is like a, like a crumb, a crumbling pillar in like the systems that we've built. Because like, if people don't feel like well enough to like show up for work at all, then like <laughs> you can't hire a new worker and like people are already dropping out because the pandemic showed so many people that they couldn't work in the field that they're working in does that make any sense what i'm saying i don't know if i'm just being like uh like if you know galaxy yeah. brain right now 
<laughs> I mean, but I think that's the goal, but I just don't know if it's going to happen. Like, I think it's much more likely that those who are actually weak and in need of care will get left behind, and then those who can be medicated and, you know, farmed for pharma funds will do that, and that's just what's going to happen. And I, that's just how I think it'll be, and I think nothing... There's always countercultures, <laughs> and I think yeah. the more independent people can think and the more that they can question all this stuff and see what's really happening instead of being like, hey, you know, all my peers are, you know, uh, making their depression their entire identity. That's what I should be doing. It should be like, how do I really survive and how do I be happy? Because I don't know if anyone's really going to take care of me, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I think it's all about small yeah. community brain. Like, I think it's about a localized thought. It's, like, I can enter this world of the internet where everyone's going nuts, and then I can also look at what's around me. It's, like, that talking down from anxiety practice where it's, like, three things I can smell, three things I can touch. And it's, like, instead it's, like, three friends I can trust and, like, uh, coping mechanisms right. that work for me. And, like, you have to go out of your way now to learn how to be healthy you know, just like you had to go yeah. out of your way to find great indie records, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, that's I think what it's going to be. I think it's going to be the general mainstream thing is always going to be McDonald's, right? The McDonaldization mm-hmm. of everything. <laughs> but then we'll always have mm-hmm. countercultures and counter thought that should be spread as much as possible, you know. And that's, okay, I have another thing to say, and I want to hear your opinion on this really bad, is, like, there was a time, and I feel like it's kind of ending a little bit, where you just weren't allowed to say, hey, yoga might help your depression, or, you know, exercise actually really did help my depression. Like, there was a time where you weren't allowed to say that, because Mm -hmm. people were so, it was two things. It's, like, they did not want to be less broken, because the more broken you are, the harder you are to fix, right? So someone's saying, like, hey, just go for a walk, you know, is, like rude right it's rude it's Mm -hmm. too simple how could a simple solution like that fix something so big um and then it also validated the issue because there was a lot of like you know my doctor knows best kind of stuff when it's like Mm -hmm. well your doctor can give you an Mm -hmm. opioid addiction and ruin your life um there's always that (laughs) Um, stop attacking my family (laughs) (laughs) no i mean it's it's the whole no no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding it's true i'm kidding Uh, it's just funny because like it is, this is just, it just very much speaks to, like, my family story, like, to a T. Like, even the go tea. for a walk thing. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, well, it's like we it's watched just very, it's very personal. Your mom go from that, from being, like, the poster child of what those opiates can do to people, to mm-hmm. now I see her all the time, you know? She, like, makes jewelry. She does yoga three times a day. She, like, takes walks with your dad. Like, it's a whole other person. And what's interesting, it's, like, it's the person who's living a life and actually enjoying more of life is the one who did all the things that you're not supposed to say, right? I'm not supposed to tell you, hey, maybe get off those pills and go do yoga and exercise and maintain your friendships. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, I I find it wild. But the paradox that I'm saying is like, if, if, we want more care and healing. We should be open to all possibilities. And then the same people who want more care and healing and who hate capitalism are hushing anyone who is against medication <laughs> when medication is one of the biggest like capitalist like 
forces, like, in mm-hmm. the country, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what trips me out <laughs> a lot, is it's, like, there's this thing yeah. where it's, like, the hippies are wrong, you know? And it's, like, well, they're actually the ones that call for, like, small communities and, like, community care and, like, you know, get 20 people to do yoga together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's strange. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think what it comes down to also is, like, one one um, solution doesn't fit everybody. And, like, exactly. the, the thing is, like, you know, the medication destroyed my mom's life. Absolutely. And, like, she was able to come back from it and mm-hmm. fight tooth and nail from it and, like, whatever, whatever, Um, and that is working for her, and we're very grateful, but, like, I think the assumption is, like, everyone can be medicated, like, even, I don't know if doctors think that way, I feel like maybe I'm being, like, weird, but um, I think medication probably goes to more people than it needs to, because medication Mm -hmm. sort of is, like, a one-size-fits-all thing, and, like, you know, you can just... Yeah, and, like, businesses see people as uh, uh, numbers rather than complex mm-hmm. beings. So I think I think the thing is just accepting that, like, maybe some people benefit from medication and that works for them, but there's there are different answers. I guess that's what you're saying. Yeah, but I think everything. Like, everything should be available. Yeah. Every opinion. Someone yeah. should be able to find someone saying, hey, yoga saved my life, and someone should be able to find someone that says, hey, this – this prescription changed everything for me. Like it should all be available and nothing should be censored or subdued for any narrative because there isn't one narrative, you know, we need those choices. It's, you know, you have bad side effects. It's like everyone is so different. And I think that's what boggles my mind and is the problem. I think with like healthcare is like, we don't treat everyone like they're different, you know? And it's not the same thing Mm -hmm. as, you know, I think that always gets wrapped up with like individualism and it's like, you are, everyone is an individual. Like, it's true. Physically and mentally, program-wise, we are all individuals, but individualism is only negative when it applies competition and, uh, like, like hierarchies, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 and hoarding resources, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, like, and like who's better than the next? But individualism is the truth. It is true. So how do we make it a positive thing and not a, like, every man for himself individualism doesn't have to be every man for himself it can be every man's unique and deserves mm-hmm. that treatment i don't you know i don't know yeah 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 and how like can how can the collective recognize the individual mm-hmm. needs rather than uh trying to mm-hmm. shoehorn them yeah yeah something i wrote here that totally we didn't really talk about is like the way that poor people are more resilient because like the concept that, like, sort of being poor or, like, disenfranchised makes you more resilient because there isn't, like, time to be sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you yeah. think about that? And I think it's, like, the wealthy... It's almost like wealthier people, and America is full of wealthy people, you know what I mean? Like, we... I just think anyone who's, like, above, like, the poverty line is technically wealthy, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and taken care of. Like, um, there's more time to wallow you know what I mean you don't have your dad being like hey get over it because there isn't any work to do right well also I think I think that's interesting I also think that would 
uh, also explains some of why all of this has sort of mushroomed over the pandemic because we've all had so much more time. Yes. Uh, in a lot of ways, even even people like who have had to work through the pandemic, like your social life is is diminished, so you have like less time to actually like just release with friends. You're just working, and then you're <laughs> and then your like social life is just alone time. Yes, and the um, <laughs> yeah, alone time with the internet. Um, and yeah, I think that's very interesting. I think that um, I mean, I do think people who have to fend for themselves become more resilient because they have to fend for themselves and that is just a fact I I don't Mm. I think that's just like yeah absolutely and I mean again like this is like people should have to fend for themselves but like when you don't have cushion like you're all you it's like you know Oliver Twist or the Artful Dodger like they're like you know <laughs> scheming and and figuring it out and then having their musical numbers it's like you're so the... Oliver Twist vibes <laughs> yeah. I don't even know the story I just kind of um, like the vibe yeah but you know what I mean like I uh to star yeah it's I, I mean I just think that's absolutely true and I think that that just speaks to like people who are born like in a in a situation with less like mm-hmm. automatically have to build resilience just to like live and so then you yeah. have that in your back pocket and I've heard criticism for that where I've definitely like been like yeah like my family like below the poverty line immigrant parents whatever English second language on and on and on and like I was still raised to be really resilient and not make it my story and people will be like well, wouldn't you have preferred it if, like, society, like, took care of them they never even had to feel those feelings? And I was like, I don't even know if that's a real thing. Like, I don't even know if that's, like, a real situation, <laughs> you know? Like, to mm-hmm. jump to that. Yeah. And, like, I don't even know if that's even what we're talking about. Like, that's just a weird reach to say that I'm not allowed to be resilient or that there's something damaging about being resilient, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. I think poor people, disenfranchised people are more resilient and have to be more resilient. And that's unfortunate, but that doesn't delete <laughs> the fact that it's actually a very forward moving I mean, mindset. that's the thing is it takes, <laughs> it does take away like <laughs> the thing that they have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you come to the table and you're like, I'm resilient because I was, I raised below the poverty line and people are like not even giving you that. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, not even giving me what? Like, my resilience? They're not even, yeah, giving you your resilience. They're, like, questioning if you should have it. Oh, interesting. Because of the system. Well, yeah, then they're, like, convincing me that I shouldn't be. Like, I actually should. It's, like, it's almost like, okay, so everything, oh, everything is about controlling the narrative, right? And trying to make one. Yeah. And so, in that sense, they're, like, hey, stop telling the story that there was some positive stuff that you gained from your poor situation and what's so crazy about that is like I said before it's like there's a separation between society and interpersonal experiences me getting some Mm -hmm. good things out of a bad situation is great for me you know what I mean but am I gonna tell the the president to tell everyone hey character building being poor is character building absolutely not but me personally that drives me forward like there's a big difference, and I, I, I feel like that's there's just so many things that would just be solved by, you know, just seeing the yeah. vast picture. Um, yeah, absolutely. That being said, I love being resilient. I will never stop. It fucking fuels me. 
I have a lot of pride. Totally. I, I think that's very... I grew up in a prideful immigrant family. It even annoyed me. <laughs> it annoyed me and it still annoys me that I had to talk about my past because, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how you feel about this and I want to hear how you feel about, like, it annoys me that, like, it was trendy to talk about, like, oh, your immigrant parents and, like, how you were raised and, like, you were poor. Like, I don't know why. It's, like, I don't really want to tell that story all the time. I don't think it's that important. Like, it is it is very, like, defining of who I am, but I think it annoyed me that it was, like, almost, like, emotionally manipulated mm. as a reason for, like, a narrative. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that people... Like, it just felt manipulative. Like, give us, like, give us a yeah. reason to trust you. Give us a reason to think you're deserving. Like, you know, and it's, like, I find myself having right. to, like, like, it's annoying that if I get criticism for seeming privileged or out of touch or, like, I've never suffered because my Instagram's so pretty and happy, like, um, that that's the way to, like, I have to bring up what I've been through to validate it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It just annoys me that that's yeah. the solution and that it's so easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, if it's so easy yeah. for you to just hear that story, I'd be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Like, why didn't you just give me the benefit of the doubt to begin with and just listen <laughs> to anything? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why? I don't know. Yeah. Like, if someone gives me advice, totally. I, I mean, don't immediately I... think, where are your qualifiers? Where did you suffer? Where did you suffer? I'm just like, okay. Right. Does that work for me? Does it work? You know, it's interesting. How do you feel about, like... As yeah. trauma as collateral, <laughs> no, as uh, no, as currency, trauma as currency for self worth and influence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, I've definitely experienced that many times where uh, someone will say something and like, or like, I remember when we were putting together an art show and this girl was like, "Oh, I, I get you now. Like, I get, I get you oh. now." And and then she was like nice to me moving forward and people people will say that like they'll be like oh I get you now like I and um you know just like in different restaurant jobs or whatever like if it comes up if it would come up then people would be like oh okay and like really like side with me more or even say like oh okay I get I like just I get you now or something and it's just like to me it was a thing where I worked so hard to move, move again, move from that single dimensionality of being into like a multifaceted person. And it was so difficult to do that. And then having to like revisit that to gain um, cred from someone to me was just like, but I'm so much more. And like, I am so much more because of that. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely so much more because of that. Um, But yeah, it, it, it is difficult and like it hasn't happened to me in a little bit, mm-hmm. but it is an interesting thing with the newsletter because um, I do revisit things that like I wouldn't necessarily talk about with people now. Mm-hmm. And it's a funny thing where like the newsletter is literally just like talking about myself and mining in, in some instances mining my past mm-hmm. Um and it's funny because, but it's all on my own terms. And exactly, I think I like exactly. try to strike a balance of like introducing a concept without putting, putting myself in a specific position. And if someone wants to read into it and be like, oh, like I'm seeing her victimhood now and I can see her now. Like that's, I'm not going to hear them say that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm using, I'm using 
a, a piece of my story to like explain a larger concept. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like, um, that's cool. And I'm down with that. And, uh, but it is still an interesting thing of like working through, I'm still navigating that. But yeah, when people sort of draw it out of you, um, and you're, it does feel like a form of manipulation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because if you're writing your newsletter. Also, like, it is, like, a thing where, like, when things were going on with my dad, I was working, like, five nights a week in a restaurant, so I would literally take him to radiation or immunotherapy and then go to work mm-hmm. after. And people would go to me and be like, how's your dad? And it was just, like, a thing where I know I like to believe and I – choose to believe that like that came from a place of deep caring Mm -hmm. but talking to someone like when they're walking into a like a busy shift at a restaurant isn't appropriate like um because then I'm like processing it explaining it like whatever because Mm -hmm. they're trying to connect or do whatever they're trying to do and it's just (laughs) yeah but it's like or or like sort of it is the thing where when you read a, a bad news story, like you sort of want to little, little, know a little bit more. You want to like figure out if you can find any details. And so if you have someone that like actively is like going through something, like I do think there is a human instinct to be like, ooh, I want to like pick it at a little more and see how they're doing because I want like the tea, mm-hmm. right? But it's just a weird thing when you're actively in a situation and people are sort of like mining you consciously or or subconsciously I'm not like passing judgment on those people because I'll never know their intentions Mm -hmm. but like it does sort of come off as like bro like I'm not trying to like live in that space right now I'm trying to like uh be resilient Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know intention is so important yeah because it's like okay for me sharing like oh the PTSD story like here for like the function of like you and I talking about this trauma stuff it's like that's so different than like someone being like you can't talk about PTSD because you don't, you've never <laughs> had it, you know, and then I have to tell the story mm-hmm. to prove, you know, but I just mm-hmm. feel like that's something that happens online a lot is like trauma as defense or like, you know, it becomes like a tool for something else or like a tool for like attention or self-worth. And I think that's when it just gets weird. And I think that's what culturally, that's kind of what the issue is. You know what I mean? That's yeah. really what it is. It's yeah. like our kids and teens being conditioned to think that like you know weaponizing any form of brokenness is rewarding and then will that make them in turn completely identify with it you know and like make it their whole life Mm -hmm. when they could actually be a little bit better off (laughs) I don't know and further it's like does it does it matter you know (laughs) yeah like, at the end of the day, all you can really I mean, do again, is like, take care of your, your shit with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, this whole thing is, like, do you remember, I mean, I don't know if you remember, like, when the Great Recession happened when, in 2008. And it was, Obama. like, the millennials are the most fucked up, like, generation there is because they have no future and they're still living with their parents. And it's, like, I think... Mm-hmm. And then now we're like doing this thing where it's like, and Gen Z is going to be the generation of trauma. And it's like, I just think that this is an important conversation to have for sure because we're like, we're dissecting it. But I think it's important to note that everyone in Gen Z, like, how old are they? They're like, max, it's like 94 is the cutoff. Mm-hmm. Or no, 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 96, 96 or 97. Yeah. Right. So, like, <laughs> just let, let them live a little bit. And, 
Um, because it really just comes down to like the the media cycle it becomes so dangerous because then millennials sort of like have always had to claw back and be like, but we're actually going to be okay. And like, we, we're going to actually do like cryptocurrency. Like, how about that? Is that good enough for you, mom? You know? <laughs> give us a story. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like very aware of that as well. Um, although I do see it happening and I think it is like real, I, I think things can be passing. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. You know, I'm hopeful. I guess I'm saying I'm hopeful. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, like, at the end of the day, it's, like, everyone needs to do what they need to do, but it's, like, just don't make it everyone's fucking shit. Like, that's my problem. You know what I mean? It's, like, if you want to have your little, like, victim parade, if you think that's the way to heal things, like, good for you, but, like, don't try and make it the one narrative. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let people fucking figure out that they want to do fucking yoga or something. Like, and, you know, don't cancel the, like sweet girl on tiktok who's just trying to share the ways that she's helped herself you know what i mean because it doesn't align with your mm-hmm. you know medicine loving american household like you know it's just like have range basically <laughs> resilience and range yeah <laughs> Those are yeah the two, core the values. two r's yeah r r r r one time <laughs> on my birthday dude on my birthday Maddie's boyfriend uh was like about to tell a story and then he got uh-huh. really excited and, and he was gonna ask a question that started with like <laughs> r and then he was like r r <laughs> and then we all started dying and he was like because he sounded like a seal and then he just was like r r which it was funny uh, yeah that was a great moment that, that was, was funny really laugh um yeah <laughs> So in conclusion, uh, I think the message is always the same. Balance, think for yourself, resilience and range. You and I personally have gotten way more out of resilience than we have out of wallowing, you know? Mm-hmm. And if someone else resonates yeah. with that, then take it to the grave. And if you don't, like, yeah, there's millions of other people who, you know, want to be in a, I think it's in take a group it to the heart, chat. not take it to the grave. <laughs> because take it to the grave was like don't talk about it take it to the heart <laughs> yeah it's yeah. also just um, like but yeah I, I get what you're saying it's also like I'm still on that tip of like like don't take it so fucking seriously you know what I mean uh huh yeah like at the end of the day like how could you ever and so like when there's all this like push to just really like ugh, I don't even yeah, I just feel like I, I do think we've gotten so far from, like, Seinfeld culture, and it's a little sad because so Seinfeld sad. is, like, there should be, like, a book that's, like, the zen of Seinfeld or something, you know? Oh, my God, that would be really, really good. I know. If anyone the, steals the it, we literally Seinfeld. have this on We have it on, on record. On, Intellectual on record. property. We want 30%. No, we want to make it. I'm, I'm not, no one's taking it yet. The Seinfeld. I just don't see myself making yeah. it. I would have to what, watch all the episodes, obtain the scripts. I mean, it's a genius idea. I'm just saying, don't give away, don't give away the IP. Yeah. Okay. Yet. We're not. This is officially on record. The Tao of Seinfeld or the Zen of Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love Seinfeld. Um, it is funny. I do too. It's so great. Um, I will say that I'm gonna have to wrap it up soon because it literally is like 10:20. It's also yeah. We've been. <laughs> For like two hours on this, so <laughs> oh, yeah, we're nearing it's about two time. Hours. <laughs> it's definitely about time. Um, 
Any final thoughts? But um, Europe rules. U.S. sucks. Go. Uh, he must go really Cubs like you, huh? And... <laughs> <laughs> also, dude, when you laughed at that with me, that like made it even better. Like when I first told you that story, you were like, "That's fucking funny." I was like, "Thank you." Like, so it was a little dark, you know. I was like, "Okay." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have a wonderful burrito king over Barcelona here. Barcelona sleep slumber. <laughs> Thank you. I still have to eat um, dinner. I still have to go forage. Oh, um, sick! At night, and you have those amazing. It's so tile late floors. here, but Chris isn't home. I know. Oh, I know. The tile floors are amazing. Uh, I know. I don't know where he is. He was. He said it was gonna be a late night, but I didn't know it was gonna be this late. I mean, I know where he is, people. He's on a stage working. My <laughs> man's a, isn't running around he's town. He's on set. <laughs> literally. He's literally on set. He's on set. Um, I was going to go today, but we had the pod. Oh, really? You could always, yeah. you know, change the pod. It's definitely not the priority <laughs> compared to on set Barcelona life. I know, but we had the pod. I don't know. I was excited about the pod. Like, you know, I was excited yeah, to I do wasn't, my like, thing. Yeah, I was like, bother, yeah. Feels very legit. Anyways, I have a wonderful day. Happy Hawaii. I have a wonderful day in, in Hawaii. And um, I'm actually in Australia. No, I'm kidding. I was thinking, I was like, if anyone's like, she's in Hawaii, I'm be like, actually, I'm in New Zealand. Just kidding. I want to go to New Zealand so bad. Okay, have a beautiful night. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Yes. See you. Keep going. Next. Keep going, everyone. Mm-hmm.